Girlfriends, episode number 256, Motherhood Redeemed with Kimberly Cook. Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance and joy in family living. This week, I'm sharing a recent conversation I had with author Kimberly Cook about her new book, Motherhood Redeemed. Can't wait to share with you. Let's get going. Hey, girlfriends. How are you? Glad you're here. Always glad that you show up and we can connect here at Girlfriends. If you are a first-time listener, I want to give you a special welcome. Welcome to Girlfriends. Thrilled that you are here with us. If you're a long-time or sometime listener, I want to thank you for being a part of the Girlfriends community. You're why I'm here. So thrilled that we have this opportunity to connect again this week. I'm going to be sharing with you a conversation this week that I had with author Kimberly Cook about her new book. But first, I want to tell you about a couple of virtual events that you should be aware of. Yes, everything is virtual these days, but I'm choosing to look at it as a blessing and an opportunity we can connect and we can share in greater numbers and a greater number of events um, and in new ways and with different people across the globe because in-person events aren't so much happening anymore. So the first I want to mention is Seek 21. You might be familiar with Seek. That's brought to you by Focus, a conference that happens every year that's huge in person every year. But this year, it's going to be virtual. You can go to the show notes at ascensionpress.com to get more information about Seek 21. Ascension is one of the sponsors of Seek 21 this year. And also Girlfriends is going to be an um, a featured podcast at Seek 21. So I'm excited for that opportunity to connect with the young people there. And um, if you want to be a part of it, you can get a discount on your registration through Ascension. So I don't have that information at the time when I'm recording this, but I'm going to put it in the show notes so it'll be available to you by the time you're listening to this. Just go to the show notes at ascensionpress.com to get that discount code so that you can register and be a part of this year's event. Maybe in the past, you never would have gone to a seek and you've watched things going on online and thought, what an amazing event. I'd love to be able to be a part of that. Well, guess what? You can be a part of it this year. It doesn't involve travel. You can do it right from your own home at your convenience. So definitely you're going to want to consider being a part of Seek 21 this year, especially since Girlfriends is going to be there. You definitely belong. So we'd love to have you join us. And like I said, go to the show notes at ascensionpress.com. Register through there so you can get that special discount code. Then I wanted to remind you of the Catholic Bible Summit that is taking place online. I mentioned this last week. And this is brought to you by Cardinal Studios, the same folks that I worked with to bring you the Catholic Moms Summit. I'm not the host of this one, though, so I'm much less involved. I'm a participant in that. I'm one of the presenters that's part of the Catholic Bible Summit. They're calling it The Word, and it's hosted by Mark Hart, who you might know as the Bible Geek Online. Some amazing presenters are a part of this, some amazing Bible scholars and speakers from all over the place, such a great number of them, all focused on scripture and making God's word more meaningful and a larger part of your every day. So if you walk around thinking, I wish I could belong to a Bible study, or I wish I knew where to begin to read the Bible or make it a real part of my life, this summit is for you. If you're wondering about ways in which scripture can be a more real part of your family life, 
this summit is for you. So follow the link um, that I share on social media or in the show notes at ascensionpress.com. Then you can register for free. So the summit is free. It's taking place February 11th through the 13th. So it will be available for free, all of the talks for free over the course of that weekend. There is, of course, the upgrade to the all access pass so that you get forever access, lifetime access to all of those talks, all of those great resources, as well as some live events. So you're going to want to take advantage of that as well. But the link for that to register for free is in the show notes at ascensionpress.com or just connect with me on social media. I've been sharing the link there as well. I'd love to connect with you there. So my talk is about family prayer, making family prayer actually happen. So very practical, very much speaking from the heart about different ways in which scripture can enhance your family prayer life and some practical ways to make it a regular thing that happens in your home, in your marriage, in your family Love to connect with you at the Catholic Bible Summit. So check out that link as well. All right, diving into this week's topic, I was really excited to talk to my friend Kimberly Cook, someone I've had the opportunity to meet in person back when in-person conferences were a thing. I got to meet her um, at a Catholic Marketing Network event that took place a couple of years ago. She's just a a wonderful sister of the heart. And I know you're going to enjoy this conversation and all that she shares about her new book, Motherhood Redeemed. So here's my conversation with Kimberly. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Girlfriends. I am excited to have a special guest and a friend of mine joining us here on the podcast today. Kimberly Cook is here with us. Kimberly Cook is author of Motherhood Redeemed, How Radical Feminism Betrayed Maternal Love, as well as the host of the popular podcast, The Dignity of Women. Her marriage workbook on the virtues earned her the Catholic Writers Guild seal of approval, and her workbook for single women has been used internationally. Kimberly holds an MA in systematic theology and runs KimberlyCook.me, which challenges modern feminism. She lives in Virginia with her husband and their children. Welcome to Girlfriends, Kimberly. I'm really excited to have you here. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm very excited. Yeah, well, congratulations on this book because... When I, I actually, I love the cover. I, you know, it's Isn't a great cover. Yeah. No, I love that too. I was really impressed by that. And I know as an author, you don't maybe get all the say in the cover, but I think it really, really captures the, the feel of the book and your, your t- modern take on feminism. So before we dive into this book's content, let maybe just share with us a little bit about your background. A lot of your personal story comes out inside of the book and mm-hmm. I think it's really relevant to what you're sharing. So maybe if you could just bring us bring us up to speed on who you are, where you're at and where you've been. Right. Okay. Well, basically, um, I think I have a story that's very similar to a lot of Catholic women out there, kind of, you know, that cradle Catholic thing where I was raised loosely Catholic. I mean, kind of in, not only in name, because we did go to Sunday mass, but it was more like living by the law rather than the heart. So it was like, we go to mass every Sunday because that's what you're supposed to do as a Catholic, but it doesn't really follow you into your life other than that. And it was, it seemed like a burden all around to our family. Like, okay, we got to get up on Sunday. We got to go to mass, check that off. And then we can do whatever we want for Sunday and the rest of the week. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, um, as you get older, teens, you know, early teens and teens, you start to ask a lot of questions like, why are we even doing this? Why do we have to do this? What's the point? And 
my brother and I quickly realized that my parents weren't very well catechized. So they didn't have answers. And Mm -hmm. a lot of kids, that doesn't hold up. For me, it definitely wasn't going to hold up. So when I started asking, like, why do you have to go to mass? Like, why can't you just pray in your room or develop your own relationship with the Lord? Or, you know, what, what is the Eucharist and all this other kind of stuff? My parents, even the very uh, easy, I would say, questions maybe, they didn't really know. And my mom went to 12 years of Catholic school, but that was of course wow. 60s and 70s. And she right. didn't really know what the Eucharist was um, in essence, like the true presence of the Eucharist. So, and definitely couldn't articulate or explain any of it. They were just kind of like, this is what we've always done. This is what we have to do. And so, you know, it all fell apart for our whole entire family. Like my brother and I kind of brought the whole family down because we were like, well, if there's no point to this, if there's nothing deeper, if we're just doing it kind of like out of ritual, like it's almost like a pagan ritual, like what's the right. And we're not going to do it anymore. And my parents were like, well, you kind of have a point there, you know, like what is the point of doing this? So we're not going to fight with you guys. Um, and we're just not going to go. So, so that was like, take out the faith. So then get into high school, public high school, no faith, you know, um, mm-hmm. and no bearings. And then So for me, I, of course, and I think a lot of people do, you want to be part of something bigger. You want to believe that there's something more than just you. You want to be a part of some kind of movement or, you know, I mean, that's what the church offers us is to be part of a community, to know that there's something bigger than ourselves out there, to have greater purpose. And so if you don't have that in your faith, I think we're just naturally drawn towards that. That's how the Lord made our hearts. So I wanted something more and, um, you know, I was very into literature. And so all these feminine heroes, you know, these heroines or whatever from, from classic books and everything, and all these female authors that had committed suicide because they were before their time or things like that, I kind of, that resonated really strongly with me. And when Mm -hmm. I learned about feminism in high school and kind of met some radical feminists, and a lot of my teachers were holding on to that residual sexual revolution, radical feminism type stuff, and really encouraged it. So I found a lot of encouragement for feminism, you know, where I, in my pocket of life, and um, mm-hmm. and it really resonated with me. I wanted to be part of that female voice, you know, that um, I thought it was powerful. It was this movement that kind of resurrected all these uh, authors from the past, all these women that were before their time. and. Um, throughout history, these women fighting for the vote. And I felt like I, in some way, wanted to be part of that trailblazing path in my, you know, I wanted to sign up, I wanted to be part of the revolution. So that's kind of how I got into feminism. Right. So that was when you were in high school. And Mm -hmm. so you, you kind of grew up in a sort of Catholic household, Um, then in high school, embraced feminism, Really, I mean, from from what I've read in your book, it, like almost like that was going to be a religion for you. Yep. Like this is something that gives me greater meaning in my yep. life. So something you could latch onto in that way, and I think that's an experience many of us share that we can we can relate to that. That or you know it might not be feminism for everybody, but you you want that something greater than you to be holding on to. You want to be a part of something, like you said. So I think that's a, that is a common experience. But then so maybe just walk us through uh, a little bit more of your story. What happened after high school? Right. Well, that was a good point, Danielle, because I think putting it as a religion is a good way to to say it. Um, 
because I did need something like that. So in high school, I was very much into like art and music and all of the creative arts. And so I um, played guitar and I sang and everything. And so, of course, there were a lot of bands forming around our area, a lot of punk bands and things like that. And so I wound up um, meeting some other women that played, you know, girls that played in high school. And so forming a girl band we were listening to a lot of what's called riot girl music which is a movement of feminism through kind of like punk music with women you know and so it kind of combines punk music with the feminist message and so I was already listening to a lot of that as it was and so we were like we want to have a band like Mm -hmm. this we started a all-girl punk band basically (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, this is so funny to me, Kimberly, because I know you and I've only known you now, like this, this beautiful mom. And I was just dying as I was reading the book because I didn't know this part of your history, although we have met. And um, I was just like, oh, why are there not photos in this chapter? I know. I'm going to have to release some photos because it's funny. Like, I mean, with the pink hair and all that kind of stuff, like you right. people are like, hold on. And it's funny because even some people that I know pretty well, now, um, who for years, you know, you don't always talk about your past. Sometimes, right. oh, you know, I was wasn't close, fell away from my faith and came back. But you don't get into the nitty gritty of all right. this stuff. So they're like, hold on, band, uh, pink hair, like, <laughs> like what? I, so it is funny. I it's not something that I just like start talking about all the time. <laughs> but um, but yeah. I mean, we were playing all kinds of festivals, like these anarchist festivals and everything. And, um, you know, a lot of my friends had humongous mohawks, like I say in the book, that they had a duck to get through the door. Like, Oh, my gosh. The prom pictures, it was like a group of us. You know, all the guys have these like crazy mohawks, the girls all. I mean, we basically crashed the prom in a way, you know, like <laughs> group. Um, and that everyone was probably thought it was Halloween when we came in or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that was kind of what happened with as it went on. And um, I think as a lot of musicians that have kind of come out of that scene, like the destructive scene, will tell you it is empty after a certain point in time. Like you realize that, like I don't want to live like this. I don't. Right. There's just the drugs and the traveling and um, late nights and just party after party. And it just becomes really hollow and empty for certain Mm -hmm. people. Obviously, there are musicians that have lived like this since (laughs) forever. Yeah. (laughs) They're still doing it and they still love it. And for me, like it was it was something that I I wanted to do forever. And then suddenly I realized I can't do this forever. You know, right. It's not sustainable. There kind of comes a point in time where you're like, I want stability. I want Mm -hmm. peace. I want truth. You know, I want to know because I was really embracing relativism. And I think that only goes so far. Like there's a point in time where you have to question, you know, there's got to be some end to relativism. There's got to be some truth. There's got to be somewhere. And so I was really, um, I think it leads to a lot of depression, which for me, it did like a lot of darkness. It's like, well, either there's something else, or if this really is all there is, then what is the point of life? You know, right. really just like a sick joke then. And I think, I mean, a lot of 
friends looking back did like overdose or commit suicide and things like that. I think a lot of people that I knew found that there was nothing great. Right. And, right. and it was, I don't know what it was. Like people always ask like, what is it? Because reading the book, you see that a lot of people that I was surrounded by are still struggling with that or, you know, are no longer with us or whatever. And so mm-hmm. that, that kind of got me to where I am now. And I think, I mean, the only thing is grace, you know, to think about it. I mean, obviously I had baptism. I had um, received the Eucharist already by that point in time. So I had sacraments and I think it was just a lot of grace that led me to that point. And just the kind of mind that is not willing to settle, you know, I kind of that philosophical inquisitive mind that's kind of like a blessing and a curse kind of thing um, that drove my parents crazy, but then also led me to not be okay with stopping at the tip of the rabbit hole. Right. So, so did you have a dramatic moment where you felt like, okay, I need to walk away from all of this or was it more of a gradual kind of searching? Like there's gotta be something else. Yeah. I mean, I guess it was kind of gradual. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I tell people like when we went on tour, uh, of, uh, with our band, the United States tour, I remember I only brought like two or three books and one of them was the Bible, which was really weird because it wasn't because of, I was like a strong Christian or anything. I think it was cause I was searching and I was interested in reading everything, like every, right. I, every religion. I wanted to study every religion and kind of decide which one was the most accurate. So mm-hmm. It was kind of funny just looking back, like we're in a tour van and like one of my three books to bring is the Bible. Like we're by no means a Christian band and everything. So, um, it still had meaning for you in some way, you know, yeah. I think that's probably your guardian angel tucking that Bible into your bag. Exactly. It's like <laughs> little things that I'm like, what is this? Doing here? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it definitely got to the point. I think that depression pushes a lot of people, you know. Yep years when they're going through that kind of stuff or young adulthood, you start to feel that like something's got to give here. And I think I was feeling that pretty heavy. And um, I was searching through for different religions and things like that. I was searching for God, wherever he was, mm-hmm. in faith he was in or whatever practice he was in, going to all different churches. And um, so anyway, I was dating a guy who was atheist and he but he was working for a um catholic company a small catholic family-run company and his boss was extremely passionate about the faith always talking about the faith always you know going on and on about scripture and he was like a charismatic catholic and higher and so my boyfriend was like you got to meet this guy because you know he's like you would just love to talk to him since you're trying to figure out all this stuff with religion. And he like knows scripture really well. And he's like, so on fire for this stuff. So he kind of, it's kind of funny that he's the one who brought me to this. Cause you always wow. like, who is it? And so an atheist basically brings me <laughs> faith in a way, didn't bring himself back. Right. He just thought this will be good for you. Oddly, you know, God used him. And that was like a pivotal turning point when I met this man, his boss. Um, I actually wrote a book about him several years ago because his life experience is just incredible and a whole nother story. But um, he came out of the occult. So he had a really the occult. So anyway, uh, he just was just 
exactly what I needed. God knew that I needed at that time. And he had a lot of spiritual gifts, one of reading souls. And he, when he did that to me, um, he was able to say things on my heart that I'd shared with nobody else. And it really was this moment, like, okay, something else is here. Either this is the devil or God, like there's something (laughs) of this world happening right here. Right. On. Like this, like God kind of touched me through that moment and I just bawled my eyes out. It was like the first time I think he said, like, do you know how much God loves you? And all, you know, all that kind of stuff. But for the first time, like normally I would have rolled my eyes and be like, oh my gosh, not another one of these kind of people. But for whatever reason, you know, God breaks through at certain times and the wall right. crashed down. And it was like, it hit me that like, that is actually true. How can mm-hmm. that And it was like the weight of how much God loved me was so powerful that I couldn't stop crying. And I knew it would really be the same. So there was, I mean, it was like a slow movement to that. And I was definitely, my heart was definitely being softened for a while, but there was like kind of that wrecking ball moment where I knew that God loved me. Oh, that's beautiful. And, you know, I hear a lot of hope in what you're sharing because a lot of people who listen to girlfriends are moms who I hear from all the time who are just struggling because their grown kids are leaving the faith because, you know, they're teenagers being rebellious in different ways. And you kind of wonder like, gosh, I just poured my heart and soul into this kid. And then they're just going to walk away from the faith. That's heartbreaking. We, I mean, you know, I hear these heartbreaking stories every day from women. So I, I love that you share so openly in the book and, and through this conversation that, you know, all the places you've been and how God can work inside of that messiness that in ways that we never anticipate using people you would never expect him to use and just bring you back to him. That sometimes when, when we're so heartbroken over situations like that, whether it's a child of yours or a friend of yours or someone that who's not, you know, sharing the faith with you, that um, we forget how big God is. We forget how powerful he is. And it's so beautiful and inspiring to hear the ways that he was working through your life even back then. Right. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of parents, if they think, okay, my child's walked away, they're dating an atheist oh, <laughs> yeah. you know, from there, but just to see how God used so many strange situations for me and nobody that I was hanging out with had really any speck of faith. Right. Oh, it's amazing. It really is amazing looking back when I was, I mean, this book was a little bit hard to write reflecting on, sure. you know, from the past. And it was almost like reliving a miracle in a way. Cause I was like, how in the world did I? <laughs> right. right. So where you are now is you've got this podcast on the dignity of women. So obviously, and you know, the title of the book is Motherhood Redeemed. So truly, you know, I think really at the, at the heart of authentic feminism is motherhood and mm-hmm. a real understanding of what that is. And especially the teachings of St. John Paul II on what motherhood mm-hmm. is. Um, but also at the heart of feminism is like a rejection of that definition of motherhood. Maybe you could share a little bit about how how your your idea of motherhood has shifted over the years. Yeah, and that is huge, Danielle, because as I start the first chapter of the book, and I think it's so relevant, what is feminism? There mm-hmm. was nowhere to go with this book other than to start with that, because I think the biggest question is, you know, a lot of people want to relate to feminism, and I see it in the Catholic Church too. I mean, a lot of women want to be feminist in the same way. Like it feels powerful. It feels like 
something that you can get on board. And it, the question is, what is feminism? Because if it's just, you know, equal rights for women, equal pay, um, right. equal in the workforce or whatever, equal dignity. So, but the thing is, you have to clarify what it is. And I think that's the problem with feminism because in our society, that's not really what feminism is. Like if you right. say feminist now, it is really wed with a lot more than just being able to vote or, you know, having the same pay, it really is um, first and foremost with, like you said, a rejection of motherhood. It really is about um, reproductive rights. That is, mm-hmm. that is wedded to feminism now in order. I mean, you have to clarify, I'm a pro-life feminist. If, right. Or it, it comes with some kind of clarification you can't just say, you know, I'm a feminist and then go on like John Paul II said, the new era of feminism should usher in life. I mean, it, even John Paul had to clarify that. Right. You can't just use that word. Yeah. I mean, I, I really like I don't consider myself a feminist anymore. Not at all. And um, as I explain in the book, from the very, very start of feminism, even in, you know, the uh, 19th century, I take it all the way back to there. And even the earliest feminists, it was wed with some harmful ideologies. It's not that it shifted in the sexual revolution or in the seventies, this goes way back. So Mm -hmm. for me, motherhood, when I was in high school, when I was getting into the feminist movement, I started developing this real disdain for motherhood. I had this opinion and I think it was prevalent. I don't think it was just exclusive to me. I, I know it wasn't is that motherhood was kind of a last ditch option. It was something that um, the women that couldn't make something of themselves. So if you, you know, got out of high school and you weren't smart enough to go to college and make something of yourself, if you kind of needed to go from like the dependency upon your parents' household to going to the dependency of some man's household to take care of you, like you weren't able to hack it in this world. Mm-hmm. The women who became mothers, you know, and- right. Um, they're basically just like breeders. There is nothing they had to offer to the world. So they might as well just continue society going. You know, they could be the ones that could continue. It's almost like the Handmaid's Tale or something. <laughs> but um, it really, I mean, this was my real understanding of motherhood. Or, you know, I know a lot of women biologically feel that their clock is ticking eventually and they want kids. So, okay, go get your education, go live your life, go have a successful career. And then when you're in your, you know, late thirties or early forties or whatever, have one or two kids just to kind of check that off your bucket list. And then, you know, go back to work and continue to, you know, have someone else take care of those kids. And right. So that you can do the important right. stuff. Right? Yeah. Like you go do the important stuff and contribute to the world and contribute to society because you have a brilliant mind and you have, gifts and all these things. And so the women who are mothers are the ones that don't have good enough gifts, you know, they're not needed in the world. And I mean, this is really, um, it was so deep in my mind and really in my heart, it was hard. That was the hardest part of coming out of feminism for me was to be able to embrace motherhood. It really Mm -hmm a point where I understood it in my head that that's not what motherhood was, that it was deeper, that it was a vocation, that it was good. I had to tell myself that for years. It was like therapy. And then Mm -hmm. I felt like, okay, I can see how it's good. And I can see how motherhood is good from a distance. But I don't think that I could ever personally embrace that. 
because I just think that I'm too wounded by that lie for so right. long that I think that it would come out. Like I'm afraid that it would come out mm-hmm. somehow, you know? Yeah. I think that people can really relate to that because I know for me personally, I never went through a phase quite extreme like you did. Um, but, when I did become a mom, I had to struggle with some of those concepts, even though I, you know, I fully embraced church teaching and I wanted nothing more than to get married and have a bunch of kids after I graduated college. But once I became a mom and was, you know, that's a challenging thing and you're, you're struggling in that identity. I found that there was a a large part of my heart that was still steeped in that kind of subtle, but not so subtle cultural message about what motherhood is, how it's beneath you, how there's no dignity in it, how you're, you're meant to do more important things, you know? And I found that was a really sinister thing that I hadn't previously realized was entrenched in my heart in some ways that I really needed to work through myself personally. And, you know, as someone who like never left the faith and as somebody who fully embraced it or wanted to, that was really eye-opening for me to think just how powerful this message has been, how it undermines the the value and the dignity of motherhood in such fundamental ways that even I found myself like, what is this doing in my heart? Like what is going on here? Right. I, I do. I think, and it's, I mean, it comes in that cultural way that people will ask, what do you do? Mm. Like, I'm a mother or I'm a housemaker or something yes. like, that. like a, you know, it's stay at home mom. Those things are like, yeah, but what do you do? You know, like right. that's not really doing anything. That's what mm-hmm. you your life like that's what you're going to put on under occupation you're a homemaker you know you're a mother so I think that we've grown up under that umbrella where that is something to be embarrassed about you know that's Mm -hmm. fulfilling that's that's something that you your body does it's not something you know kids like it's not something that you do on the day-to-day or that you contribute to the world so I mean that the way that I saw feminism and see it so strongly in the Catholic church as like a dangerous thing, Mm -hmm. the reason that I wrote this book, because we all know that feminism is out there, that there's radical feminism, that it's, you know, done damage in different areas. But I think a lot of people don't see it as dangerous to themselves or, you know, in the Catholic church or things like that. And so I, I mean, I recognize it pretty easily in because of being so entrenched in it, you know, you kind of have right. this are, but I see it everywhere. And just like you said, in little ways where women don't feel affirmed in their dignity as mothers or, mm-hmm. you know, what they do, they feel like they are not living to their fullest potential. Um, you know, because we've heard that so many times it's cycled through our mind so many times and, John Paul worked so hard to restore that dignity right? and and to talk about that. So that's why I call it motherhood redeemed. And it really is a history of feminism for Mm -hmm. women. I think it's funny. A lot of people that have read it who have considered themselves Catholics, but really kind of feminists too, Mm -hmm. kind of felt like in some way they're feminists. And when they've read the book, they're like, I actually, to be honest, knew nothing about feminism. Right. Right. No, I had that experience as well that um, there was a lot that I didn't know and a lot of the history of feminism in there that was very eye opening. And I think recognizing like where this thing comes from, then then we can be more discerning about do I want to put that label on myself? And like I, I came away thinking like that that label of feminist, like it it means so many different things to so many different people. 
that it almost has no meaning anymore. You know, yeah. like somebody can say that and I still, I don't know how she means it or, exactly. you know, and, and so that's, it. that's tricky. And so I'm like, we need some new language to be able to talk about this. But motherhood to me is the language to talk about it. Just fully mm-hmm. embracing our motherhood, all the different ways that we live that out as Catholic women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you look at now the richness in our Catholic faith with social media, with everything, you see all these mothers who are doing so many beautiful things while raising a big family. And you see that their creative genius, you know, that feminine genius that John Paul talked about, mm-hmm. really pervasive from the walls of their home, hitting so many women, you know, being able to build community from right where you are and as a mother and to be able to be proud of being a mother and use that to, you know, propel you in everything that you do, that that gives you the strength and the guidance. And it's fulfilling that feminine genius that the Lord's called you to, which he's giving you the ability to do so many other things through that. And that's what I said is that we, we thrive through that. Even if you're not a biological mother, whether you, you know, are a biological mother, whether you adopted children, whether you're a religious sister or whether you're even single, you know, Mm -hmm discerning a vocation or, or you've made the decision to stay single any way, you know, you're living your motherhood is part of you just as a woman. It's part mm-hmm. of feminine soul. And that right. the book talks about that's what John Paul II talks about. We are all in some capacity mothers and right. Teresa talked about that all the time. So mm-hmm. All living those gifts, the feminine genius is really tied to our maternal soul. Edith Stein talked about it so much. So I think that that's something to be proud of, whether you're a biological mother or not. We have this beautiful, you know, spirit in our feminine soul that is made and crafted to give life. Right. And and that's such a powerful thing to reflect on and to embrace when you when you can embrace it, when you can work through that. Um, I think that's that's a really important message. And that's why I'm really glad that you've written this book now today, because I think this is such a valuable thing to inspire women to reflect on. Like, what is my experience of like feminism and motherhood? And how do I think about these things? And what frame of mind do I have about them? Because it really encourages you to be discerning about those things. I, I think that motherhood is so incredibly powerful when we recognize it and fully embrace it, like the ways that we are especially gifted as women that, you know, nobody knows that better than Satan himself. So that's, in my opinion, why motherhood has been such a target that, you know, why why at the core of feminism do we have to reject motherhood to begin with, right? Like, because, of course, this is this powerful force for the good, if only we will embrace it. Um, So we're almost out of time here, Kimberly, but I just, I want to ask you, you know, now that you are a mom, how how has that changed maybe your perception of or your experience of the, your feminine gifts. I mean, we're talking about these in general terms. Maybe you could share something a little bit more concrete about what what are those feminine strengths? What is feminine strength and virtue to you? Right. Yeah. I mean, like we said, it's life-giving. And I think that what I realized, especially through actually physically giving life to children, was the way that you, we as women give life in so many more ways than just physical. And I think right. that 
the physical to understand, you know, how sometimes you need a comparison to hold up to say, you know, okay, now I get it because I've, I can see that. So for me, um, I had heard a lot of these things in studying Catholicism and um, studying theology, how, you know, we hear so much about life-giving love and John Paul II talking about, you know, the dignity of women. But when I actually became a mother and not only the physical, you know, the nine months, the labor and delivery, and then all the things that come with it, you know, um, many hardships and things like that. And, but then it was like, the day to day, I think just seeing how um, we are entrusted with this soul that is not our own, like this person's soul is not my soul, you know, I'm entrusted with all these other souls and journal. Mm-hmm. And that was so mind blowing to me, you know, at first, you're kind of frozen, like, I can't mess this up, you know, <laughs> you mess it up like a million times. And you're right. you realize every day, that it's like iron sharpens iron. I ask myself a lot, should I have become a mother? You know, am I doing well at this? Is this really, maybe I should have been a religious sister somewhere. Like, I don't know, <laughs> completely blundering this, you know, right. but then you realize that this, are you growing? You know, what is this doing to make me better, stronger, more virtuous? And a lot of times it is through that constant humility or realizing that you're not as virtuous as you thought you were or as <laughs> certain areas as you thought you were. Like, I'm a very patient person. And then you have four kids under the age of five, you know, and you're <laughs> all patient. Like, I, this is like, I think it almost like brings out the worst in you in some ways. And I'm sure this, mm-hmm. even, you know, you read St. Therese's Story of a Soul, you see how the, some of the worst of her was brought out in, mm-hmm. the, you know, these sure. like really grating on her. So I think for me is realizing how we need to be life-giving to our children so that, you know, that this doesn't turn into a wound, a wound when they're, they're um, older, you know, we don't want wounds. We know that we're all wounded and there's not, we can't always protect them from everything, even from ourselves. But the fact that to keep on speaking life, you know, to keep on speaking truth, to keep on speaking goodness. And even when we mess up, to keep on giving life through through the way that we live, through the way that we talk, and even through our faith, you know, to explain, mm-hmm. I didn't have that, to explain this is why we do this. This is, we love doing this, to show the love through that. So I think that for me is just the daily life-giving um, affirmations through everything. And people can see that. I, I mean, people can see a woman who's living like that. It's not that she doesn't have crosses. It's not that she doesn't yell at her kids ever or think like, maybe I shouldn't be doing this because I'm a terrible mom or something like that. I mean, we all go through that. And I think that religious sisters go through that as well. And I think that single people, and I think that everyone goes through that, but Mm -hmm. I think just um, having to get up and give life again and again and again and again and again all day long in so many different ways. So that to me, it's harder, you know, it's harder. Oh yeah. It's harder. It's like that martyrdom, like just give me the bullet to the head. (laughs) I don't want to be like flayed alive or something like, like a martyr. If it's like that, I don't want the martyrdom. That's like, you know, all these like drowning and stuff like that, you know, or something, just give me like a quick and easy martyrdom and I'll be happy to be a martyr. (laughs) 
<laughs> Wait, is that Flannery O'Connor? I think, or I thought she could be a mon- martyr if they killed her quick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not a slow, drawn out process. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think we can all relate to that quite a lot. Well, my guest today has been Kimberly Cook of the Dignity of Women podcast and the new author of Motherhood Redeemed: How Radical Feminism Betrayed Maternal Love. You're going to want to check that out from Tan Books. I'm going to have it linked up in the show notes, which are always available at ascensionpress.com. You can get those show notes sent right to your inbox if you text the word girlfriends to 33777. Would love to have you subscribe there so you never miss a show. Don't miss the link to Kimberly Cook's book, Motherhood Redeemed. Kimberly, thank you so much for this conversation. But even more importantly, thank you for the gift you are to the church for sharing your story so openly and vulnerably in a way that I know is going to bless many women. Thank you so much, Danielle. This has been a gift. Yes, truly has. All right, coming up, we've got some listener feedback for you. But first, a quick break. I'm Danielle Bean, and you're listening to The Girlfriends Podcast. Hi, I'm Sonia Corbett, the Bible study evangelista and a Baptist turned Catholic. As a Baptist, I thought that Catholic beliefs were invented, that they came out of nowhere and had no connection whatsoever to the Bible. I also happened to believe that the Old Testament was about rules, rituals, and sacrifices that the New Testament gave us permission to ignore for a personal relationship with Jesus. It's a long story, but as God began connecting the Old and New Testaments for me, I was stunned by the beautiful consistency of God in the Catholic Church. I can't tell you how exciting it was when God opened my eyes to the incredible ways the Old Testament foreshadows God's plan for the New Testament and for His Catholic Church. In my book, Fulfilled, Uncovering the Biblical Roots of Catholicism, I explain these amazing connections, and I share how those connections helped change my life. If you read this book, I promise that you will come away with tools to help you share your Catholic faith easily, answer questions about how your Catholic faith fits with what's in the Bible, and most importantly, grow deeper in your relationship with Christ. If you're interested in learning more or ordering a copy of Fulfilled, Uncovering the Biblical Roots of Catholicism, you can do so at ascensionpress.com or on Amazon. Welcome back. Now we're at the point in the show that I like to share a little bit of listener feedback with you. And um, I got a funny question from listener Caitlin this past week. Caitlin wrote to me and said, Dear Danielle, I've been waiting for your beginning of the year nudge to focus on fitness. I know it's just my excuse, but you haven't done one yet. I like your regular check-ins because they're a good reminder for me to focus on what I am doing to take care of myself physically. So I guess I'm giving you a reminder. How is your fitness routine going? I just like to take inspiration from others. So maybe we could have a check-in on a show sometime soon. Thanks, Caitlin. I appreciate that, Caitlin. Um, So those of you who haven't listened to Girlfriends for a long time, you know, a regular thing that we've done sort of on and off through the years is just a fitness check-in, which isn't a whole show, but it's just like me saying, hey, how's it going for you? What are you doing these days? And um, sharing with you a little bit about what I'm doing. And it's a way to kind of motivate us, encourage each other, let us know we're not alone in this. And also just to appreciate the ebb and flow of life and that it's not always going to be one way and it's not always going to look a certain way. So I appreciate you checking in with me and giving me that nudge. Caitlin, you're right. I haven't done a beginning of the year fitness check-in and this is a good excuse for me to do it. So I did share with you all after the Catholic Mom Summit that 
um, with the busyness of that event and, you know, with in addition to my regular work, that was kind of a lot that I took on and that I experienced it in physical ways. And one thing that I did, which was dumb, and I knew it was dumb as I was doing it, was I just like crossed my daily fitness routines off my list. Like I just wasn't doing anything. I just felt like I didn't have the time to do it. I didn't make the time to do it. I wasn't making it a priority. And so it just wasn't happening in a way I haven't done in a long time. I just wasn't doing anything. And um, I felt it. I shared with you on that show that I wound up having kind of chronic neck and back pain. And I realized it was a result of the fact that I had no kind of outlet, physical outlet for the kind of stress and you get a physical response to stress and it has to go somewhere. And if if you don't actually have a physical release of stress inside of your life, then it's going to build up perhaps in your neck or your back, or you're going to have headaches or you're not going to know where these things are coming from. So I experienced that. And I was, I was sharing with you, I guess that was sometime before um, Christmas that I was getting back into a routine of just regular running and just, just very simply doing that um, as a way of, taking care of myself in that basic way. I have since gotten just a little bit more organized about it and I'm not doing any particular routine or anything, but I did get a, a Fitbit, a Versa 2, which is like a nice watch. I realized that my health insurance would reimburse me for it. So I was like, okay, no brainer, I'm getting this thing. And that's fun because you know, I've experienced with different kinds of fitness trackers over the years that it can be very motivating if you're tracking your steps and tracking your activity or tracking your heart rate and all of those things. And it has been that. It's kind of been a refresher for me in keeping track of my daily activity. So that's been a little bit fun. But then I'll just share with you what I'm doing in case it's helpful to anybody who might want to consider doing something similar. I've shared with you before that I like the Peloton app. Now, I don't have a Peloton bike I don't have a Peloton treadmill. I I could never imagine spending that amount of money on a piece of fitness equipment. So um, I just have a plain old treadmill, but I, you can use the app and the workouts that are available on the app on a regular treadmill. You can also use them outdoors. I love the outdoor ones that they just kind of talk you through a run. Really fun. Um, and you can also use it on a regular exercise bike as well as they have strength training routines and everything. So Again, um, I'm going to recommend the Peloton app to you. It is so worth, I think it's like 12 bucks a month that I pay for the subscription to it. Get access to all of the workouts. And I love that it has like a filter. When you're searching for a class, you can just say like, I want a 20 minute strength training class that's focused on core and it will come up. You have multiple options and different fitness instructors instructors that can help you help you through that. Or finding a run that's a certain length of time or a certain kind of run, a certain difficulty level. You can put in all of these filters as you're searching so you can find exactly what you want. And they have so many on there. So I've just been kind of just using that quite a bit and just doing different things. Like I try to go like one day I'll do a um, a run. Another day I'll do a strength training workout. Um, Dan recently bought an exercise bike. So I've been forcing myself to do that. Although I do not love bicycles. I just don't. <laughs> I don't love to ride a bike. I never have. And I don't love the exercise bike, but it is a different kind of a cardio experience. So I've been doing that. And I also have shared with you before that I've gone through different phases in my life where I do my workout first thing in the morning. And sometimes that makes a lot of sense. That might be where you're at right now, that if you're just not finding the time for it in your day, you need to do it first thing. 
or it's not going to happen. Right now, I'm not doing that because I'm trying to prioritize daily prayer time. And that's what I'm doing first thing. And if there's still time, yeah, I'll do I'll do a workout in the morning as well. But more often than not, I'm finding that it's kind of a nice afternoon break in the middle of a work day to, you know, sometime between like 3 and 5 p.m. I'll, I'll manage to do like a half hour of something. So basically, that's it. I'm not following a particular program or anything, but I am being regular about it. And but then also not being rigid about it, <laughs> not beating myself up if the, if a day goes by and I haven't done it, but aiming for like five days a week and being pretty consistent about that. And I'm loving it. I'm not training for a race. I'm not doing a particular program, but this is this is fitting for me and it's working for me right now and I enjoy it for the most part. So um, I really do want to recommend that app to anybody who might want to check it out. I think you can get a free trial for like a month. Um, so totally worth checking out and see if it works for you. It may not be the thing for you, but I encourage you to explore. As Caitlin gave me that little nudge, I'm giving you that little nudge. Explore my, what might work for you. What you know, maybe you don't do New Year's resolutions. Maybe like Caitlin, you've been waiting for somebody to remind you to focus on that. So what are you doing for fitness? So I'm going to answer your question, Caitlin, by coming right back at you with a question for you. What are you doing? Because you didn't share that. And now you're getting your nudge. You're getting your fitness reminder, your regular check-in. Tell me what's working for you right now and um, what your goals are just for the coming month. You don't have to make them for all of 2021. Who knows what 2021 is going to bring? But you can make a plan for the next month. Like, what are you going to do to regularly be caring for yourself physically in the coming month. I think that's a very doable and encouraging way of reminding ourselves that this is a priority and that it's an important thing to focus on. So thank you for that reminder, Caitlin. I appreciate you encouraging me in the same way that I am always hoping to encourage you with regard to these things. So if you have a question for me, if you want to give me a reminder or a nudge, or if you want to offer some advice of your own or offer feedback on what we shared here with Kimberly in today's show, you can always email me, Danielle at Danielle daniellebean.com. I would love to hear from you. I'd love your feedback. If you have a question that you want me to take up in this little segment at the end of a future show, would love to hear from you. I would be happy to take on your question on whatever's on your heart, whatever's on your mind. What are you struggling with these days? Let me know. Email me, danielle at daniellebean.com. Connect with me. I'm Danielle Bean on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Would love to connect with you in those places as well. But right now, I just want to thank you for being here. Thanks for being part of today's show. I'm always happy to connect with you here, but it's so encouraging, so meaningful to me that you spend some of your precious time here with me on the podcast every week. That means so much to me and I'm grateful to you for your presence here today. So thank you for that. And until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a collaboration between daniellebean.com and Ascension, the leader in Catholic faith formation. 